Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the headlines from the week of November 8th, including... Canada expecting Pfizer's vaccine by early 2021... TD Bank, divesting from oil and gas projects in the Arctic. Power moves by the Mi'kmaq. Parents of Black children makes history. Kawan Charles, a second coming of Emmett Till. And British imperialism strikes again, continuing to steal African history. And many more. To kick off our politics segment, we saw more good news about the fight against COVID this week. Prime Minister Trudeau is expecting doses of Pfizer's vaccine to start rolling out in early 2021 once it's safe to do so. High-priority people will get it first. Hallelujah. That's real good news because Dr. Tam's update Friday showed that Canada accrued more than 4,300 cases daily over the past week and that we're on track to accrue 10,000 cases a day by December. Plus, the number of people experiencing serious illness keeps going up with an average of 1,400 people being treated in Canadian hospitals, including 280 in critical care and 55 deaths on average. Pfizer said in a news release that early results from a large-scale trial show its vaccine is 90% effective, and Canada has bought 20 million doses with the option to buy more if the response goes well. With this news, Canada now has access to six different vaccine candidates, including Medicago in Quebec, Precision Nanosystems in BC, AstraZeneca, and Moderna. All told, the federal government has secured a minimum of 358 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. Consider that extra an insurance policy if some of the doses perish. What are your thoughts on this, Patience? Uh, Isn't that a tad too much? With a population of of under forty million, do do we do I am I not understanding what uh, how many doses are required? No, I think that's a fair question, and I think a part of it as well is um, Canada is really interested in being able to you know whether it be by selling it or just giving it, providing vaccines to developing countries who may need it too. Got it. So I think we're not just hoarding vaccines. No, we are not hoarding okay. vaccines. As far as I understand, <laughs> I certainly hope not. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't sound too great. <laughs> but other than that, I think that it's it's really great that we're kind of on track. I don't know what the world would look like if we didn't get a vaccine and just kind of continue to operate in this manner. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I have, I have very thoughts. I mean, on the one hand, it's great. We need the vaccine. So it's good that it's on the way. On the other, some of you might have heard that Pfizer's CEO, Albert Borla, 
sold a massive 62% of his stock worth $5.6 million the same day the vaccine announcement was released, which obviously raises the question around insider trading and does that motherfucker think we stupid or does he think we dumb? Nah, but for real, for real. Here's what we have to consider about this news. It's not a crime to sell your stock in a company you own after it releases good news. But it does kind of look bad. The timing of the sale of the stock was made months in advance through a plan called a 10B5-1. That's something that's meant to avoid allegations of insider trading, not to mention something most of us might never see since most of us aren't CEOs of publicly traded companies. You feel me? But anyway, that plan essentially puts stock sales on autopilot by enabling the stockholder to set a time or amount when the stock is automatically sold on their behalf, usually in increments. What it doesn't stop is a company scheduling certain announcements around already established 10B5-1s. So am I concerned the vaccine is unhealthy? No. Am I concerned Bourla and other pharma CEOs might be cashing in on insider training? Hell yeah. (laughs) Moving on to more announcements coming from the federal government. Um, Some of you may already know this, but each year... uh, Ottawa transfers about $3 billion in funding specifically to help provinces and territories help Canadians improve their skills and find and keep good jobs. Budget 2017 provided an extra $625 million on top of that annually between 2017 and 2023. Yesterday, the PM announced that this government is providing an extra $1.5 billion to do the same. The money will flow through what's called Workforce Development Agreements, or WDAs. Trudeau says the funding will, quote, help Canadians and underrepresented groups like us and those in sectors that have been hardest hit by the pandemic, such as construction, transportation, and hospitality, quickly access supports to re-enter the workforce, end quote. The money could be used for different types of job training and could even provide financial assistance and services for some, and it could even help Canadians start their own business. Y'all likely remember when Justin Trudeau made this announcement of uh, creating 1 million jobs back in September's throne speech, right? Well, he says this is the first step. And for the record, Ontario is getting $614 million of the $1.5 billion. See, for me, this is the Justin Trudeau that I know and want to see more of. For those of you who like to read and want a political perspective on Trudeau's rise since becoming Liberal leader and the last four years of him governing SPM, I recommend Power and Peril by Aaron Weary, who is a longtime journalist and author currently working with the CBC. In the book, Weary points out some of Trudeau's guiding principles and that of his senior advisors, like UBC economist Kevin Milligan, who said, quote, if middle-class families feel they don't benefit from growth, they won't favor the policies that support a healthy growing economy, end quote. On this point, he actually spoke about Otto von Bismarck, which was the, you're probably like, who the fuck is that? (laughs) That was the chancellor of Germany from 1871 to 1890, who introduced social security in part to keep the public from turning to communism. Trudeau agrees with Kevin Milligan. That's obvious because if not, he Milligan wouldn't be on the team. For his part, Trudeau back in 2012 said through the Toronto Star that, quote, if we don't attend to this problem, we shouldn't be surprised to see the middle class question the policies and the very system that values and encourages growth, end quote. Dude is literally trying to stop us from experiencing a populist revolt and deep distrust of government that led to Donald Trump in the United States. That's why he's willing to spend so much money to support the middle class, and I think everyone should get behind that. Moving on to some 
Less savory news coming from the government. Deputy Prime Minister and uh, Minister of Everything, Christopher Freeland's policy director, Leslie Church, has agreed to an ethics screen to make sure she doesn't run into any conflicts of interest, which for some reason has been a problem for this government. The screen is needed since her husband, Seamus Murphy, regularly lobbies senior federal officials on behalf of corporate clients. And as policy director, part of his wife's job includes working on federal budgets and fiscal updates, coordinating with the prime minister's office and meeting regularly with lobbyists who seek federal spending on to the government's policy. Lobbyists like her husband. So basically, as of November 6th, senior officials in the finance office were told to screen out any correspondence from Murphy's firm or Murphy himself so there's no conflict. The screen is being managed by another senior associate. For the record, the opposition is saying, well, hold up. Why is this happening only now, considering that Church has been in Freeland's office in her position since 2015? The official response out of Freeland's office is that Church has been in contact with the ethics commissioner and has been following its advice from time, G. That may or may not be true, but it comes in the same week that former liberal Yasmin Ratanzi, who now sits as an independent MP, was booted from caucus because her crooked ass thought it was cool to hire her sister as a staff member using public funds, even going as far as having her sister use a fake name so others are unsuspecting. Blood clot. What do you think about this now independent MP and this government's problem with ethics, patients? Everybody seems to have a problem with ethics. Uh, And this is really kind of common sense, Mm. conflict of interest stuff. This is an age-old problem. What, What makes me happy is that there is enough investigation, freedom of the press, that we're actually hearing about this. Mm. But come on, you, you're going to hire your sister or you're, you're going to work with lobbyists who work for your husband's company? Like, this is kind of clear, 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 clear conflict of interest stuff. To be clear, from my perspective anyway, this this certainly isn't only a liberal problem, and you just mentioned it, actually. All parties have issues with ethics, some more than others, like the conservatives who literally had over 70 ethical violations when they were last in power. But that's not the point. It's not about the conservatives. It's about the liberals. I'm getting really annoyed that different people in this party keep putting us through nonsensical ethical drama. And I'm speaking as a member here. From the PM to this MP, they're making it harder and harder to poke holes in a picture of this government being, quote, unethical. Therefore, making Aaron O'Toole's rise to the PMO almost guaranteed. The party needs to get smarter, and many of us, many of us agree. Pronto. Jumping to the Canadian economy, as part of its plan to get to net zero emissions by 2050, TD Bank says it won't finance oil and gas activities in the Arctic anymore. In a statement, Canada's second largest bank said the Arctic Circle, quote, is warming significantly faster than the rest of our planet, which poses the risk of increased greenhouse gas releases and further warming, end quote. The bank's move signals the start of a shift for Canadian lenders that have largely continued to support the fossil fuel industry, even as global counterparts have distanced themselves from parts of the sector. The announcement also comes a month after RBC said it wouldn't finance exploration or development in what's called the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which is basically a national park. Thoughts on that, Patience? If I'm being honest, I think this is just an attempt to greenwash. I think that there's probably some other things that they're doing that are not conducive to climate change or fighting climate change. But hey, every little bit counts, right? So continue with your sustainability efforts and your greenwashing, but (laughs) okay. I, uh, that's that, that's basically my position too, because in fact, um, 
you know, loans from Canadian banks for oil and gas like projects, it only accounted for 4% of business lending and only a little over 1% of loans, at least, uh, at least in, in, in the quarter through till July of this year. So it may just be something that's really easy for them to do. Moving on. Yo, fan, did you hear about the power move the Mi'kmaq pulled this week? After all the bullshit settlers in Nova Scotia were putting our brothers and sisters through over the past few weeks, a coalition of Mi'kmaq banded together and bought a 50% stake in one of Canada's largest seafood operations, Clearwater Foods, for $1 billion. <laughs> yes, quiet. As a result, <laughs> they'll own all the company's fishing licenses in Canada, and it's the biggest investment by any Indigenous group in Canadian history. Clearwater Foods chairman Colin McDonald says of the deal, quote, it represents great value for shareholders, leverages expertise within the company, while advancing reconciliation in Canada. End quote. Obviously, this doesn't solve the legal disputes that it still exist over the, quote, moderate livelihood ruling from our courts, but it does give these indigenous people economic capacity so they can truly self-govern without interference of settlers. And I am so, so happy for them. How does the news make you feel, Patience? So although this is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of reconciliation i mean is it is it a good is it a step for reconciliation because the fact that you you require a corporate entity to get you what is your given right as an indigenous person i i'm i I wish we could have just like respected their right to you know a moderate livelihood without Mm. them having to buy into a corporation that just for me and you know i have a problem with this that just continues to further entrench the problem that that we have in canada or in the western world where we respect corporations more than we do human beings Mm. more than we do groups of people more than we do indigenous nations or or entire nations of people yeah that's that's kind of bothersome but at the same time Shout out to the Mi'kmaq community for having some strategy, <laughs> like for being like, okay, like obviously it's been how many hundreds of years and you guys are not respecting our right to earn a moderate livelihood. So let's just, let's, let's operate as a corporation and beat you at your own game. Yeah. And we need to do the same. Like, I, I totally get what you're saying and I agree with you. You know, we shouldn't have to be taking... Uh, or, or we shouldn't have to engage in, in corporate maneuvering just to be respected. Right. But if this is what we got to do, then this is what we got to do. And we got to do it fast because obviously it's reaping benefits. Right. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. 
With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Moving on to black, blackity, black news. Many of you may have heard about a shooting in Toronto's North End that happened this week and that a 12-year-old lost his life as a result. We want to take a moment to say rest in peace to Dante, uh, the the 12-year-old who was walking with his mother when caught in the crossfire. Activists and the American Civil Liberties Union of Louisiana are calling for an independent investigation into the death of a Black 15-year-old whose body was found several days after he was reported missing. The body of Kawan Bobby Charles was found in the town of Laurelville in what locals are calling another Emmett Till case. If you guys remember what happened with Emmett Till, uh, he was accused of having looked at a white girl and was beaten brutally um, before uh, his, his body was returned to his mother. And his mother decided to put that body on display. This case, though, of of Bobby Charles is weird for a number of reasons, namely the behavior of the police department overseeing the investigation. For example, why was no Amber Alert issued when Bobby was reported missing by his family? Authorities in the community have provided little information to the family, and the ACLU is family's request in, quote, demanding a full and transparent investigation into the circumstances surrounding Bobby's death, end quote. That is so crazy. I, um... Another Emmett Till. Another Emmett Till. This isn't quite black news, but, uh, you know, here in Canada especially, no, everywhere on Turtle Island, black people and indigenous people, we experience similar levels of racism. And so I thought it was important to highlight this story. Unfortunately, we have more news of indigenous women experiencing violence at the hands of police here in Canada. Ganesta Garson, an indigenous woman from the Tatasquaya Cree Nation, was knocked unconscious at an RCMP detachment in Thompson, Manitoba, and despite it being caught on video, no formal investigation was launched, and she says she was intimidated into withdrawing her complaint against the cops involved. I just want all of us to be clear on some of the hardest details to hear about this. They forced her to strip down to barely anything in a cold cell for her safety. They punched her so hard, I should really say he punched her so hard, that her head smacked against the wall and she lost consciousness for 10 seconds. They dragged her to her cell by her hands and on her back. They left her damaged and in pain for 15 minutes before paramedics arrived. As I mentioned already, she made a formal complaint, but was bullied and ended up withdrawing it. I'll just end by saying these officers need to be held accountable. It's sickening that this keeps happening. And, and honestly, when is it going to end? We don't know. But the only way it can end is if officers are held accountable. This week, we interviewed Parents of Black Children Steering Committee members, Carrie Daniel and Charlene Grant. Because the interview was so in-depth, captivating, and comprehensive, we really didn't want to limit the conversation to just five or ten minutes embedded into this episode. So what we've done is we've cut out a snippet for you to listen to. We will be releasing the full interview in addition to this episode of The Drift this week. We hope that you will enjoy this snippet and that you will take the time to listen to the full interview. 
For the first time in Ontario's history, racism perpetuated by teachers in schools has consequences. And it's all because of parents of Black children, an Ontario-wide Black student-focused advocacy group. We're honored to have steering committee members Carrie Daniel and Charlene Grant stop by to talk about how they achieved this win for the community and tell us what's next for their organization. Carrie, Charlene, it's good to have you both with us. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Parents of Black Children is an advocacy organization. So we formed originally in York Region, um, just a group of parents who had come together um, and out of that meeting came our steering committee. And one of the things that happened pretty quickly was that we um, realized that the the need and the work that we were doing in response to the anti-Black racism our kids were facing in, our, in the York Region Public and York Region Catholic District School Boards was not um, just about York Region. I think one of the things that happened really quickly is that we realized that we weren't going to get very far um, just dealing with regional school boards. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, we talked about as a group was that education is a provincial mandate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dealing with the school boards 101, you know, you have their fires, their anti-Black racism uh, fires in Peel, uh, in Durham, in York, and we're going from like one to the other to the other. It, it's it's designed to kind of like tire you out. Yes. And so for us, it was about, okay, this is, forget the boards. The mm-hmm. government controls education in this province. Mm-hmm. We're going to advocate with the government. Moving on to news from the world. As many of us have started to daydream about traveling the world for the Christmas holidays and getting a break, you know, before the new year, I I thought I'd crush those dreams for you all real quick. (laughs) Because it's it's really been a while since we talked about COVID-19 around the world. And I'm sure that you remember that Italy was one of the worst hit. It was Europe's epicenter in the first wave, during the first wave. Italy has added more regions to its coronavirus high-risk red zones as cases across the country hit a new daily record. This announcement came as Italy confirmed, and just wait, 40,000 new infections. Highest ever daily total. Mm. Daily. One day, 40,902 new infections. Yo, <laughs> are they okay over there? <laughs> it also passed the 1 million mark earlier this week, and there have been more than 44,000 deaths. Hmm. I bring this up because I've been hearing a lot of people talking about, you know, traveling to different places in the world. And if Italy is experiencing this boom in infections, the European Union is really going to start to take measures to shut stuff down. I hope that everyone who purchased plane tickets uh, has some insurance because uh, you're, you're not going anywhere, uh, particularly as, as Canada is also experiencing um, its its own boom. I don't know if you heard the news, patients, just, so, just because we're talking about uh, travel again, air travel, mm-hmm. but uh, the airline industry in Canada is kind of not kind of, they're, they're livid that they haven't really gotten any support from the government. The government's saying, hey, we'll give you support as long as you uh, 
as long as you give refunds to your customers when they, uh, you know, when they run into trouble with your, with your tickets. Which is a very <laughs> modest request, I think. Pretty, pretty modest. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, do they feel that way? Yeah. British imperialism strikes again. The British Museum has announced plans to help, <laughs> help, <laughs> quote, <laughs> investigate the history of the Kingdom of Benin, end quote, with a grand archaeology mission and a new museum. I don't know about you, Curtis, but when I picture the British returning to Africa to help investigate, I get the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, for, I think, obvious reasons. <laughs> Especially because this comes after there have been so many calls for the British to return stolen artifacts to the ancient city. Hmm. Historians say Benin City, formerly known as Edo, boasted earthen walls longer than the Great Wall of China. Are you hearing wow. this, Curtis? Wow. And the British took it on their ship back to the British Isles, like b- back to where they, wherever they are right now. <laughs> what pissed me off. The plan represents one of the largest physical projects the British Museum has ever undertaken outside of the UK. The British Museum, which also has some 950 Benin bronzes, has come under particular criticism for its refusal to give those back as well. But it is only one of many museums struggling to justify the legitimacy of its collection of stolen artifacts. Do you know what I think? After I hear a story like that, tell me. All hail Killmonger. Honestly, it's 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 right out of the film. It's literally like like we like you were called out by the film Black Panther, and you still haven't returned. Like, can you give back people's stuff? Like, and you want to launch a new a, a new project where you go back? Right. You want to go back to help, but you don't want to give back what you took. Okay, no, I mean that's logical, right? Okay. Who are you helping? Get out of here. And in an interesting story uh, this week, Jerry John Rawlings, a freedom fighter or a revolutionary leader or the father of violence in Ghana. So Ghana's longest serving leader, Jerry Rawlings, died on Thursday. I know this sounds a little bit random, but I bring up Jerry Rawlings because he has such uh, an impact on Ghanaians when you talk about him. Either you love him or you hate him. He was an influential figure for a generation of people who lived through early corruption and elitism in post-colonial Ghana. At the time he got involved in national politics, Ghana was in the middle of a devastating food shortage that left huge populations literally starving to death. Feelings are mixed around his death because he came to power after a failed coup d'etat. When he was tried for that coup d'etat in 1979, he was asked why he tried the coup. And then the young officer gave a response that has led to his infamous and famous revolutionary reputation. He said, quote, I am not an expert in economics and I am not an expert in law, but I am expert in working on an empty stomach while wondering when and where the next meal will come from. I know what it feels like 
going to bed with a headache for want of food in the stomach. End quote. He is known for cleaning up Ghana after corruption and greed led to the widespread desperation that I just spoke about. And lots of people were sad to see him die because even until the day of his death, until he died on Thursday, many think that he kept current day Ghanaian politicians accountable and transparent. Interesting stuff, huh? Super interesting. Now moving into what I'm sure everyone has maybe been thinking and reading about. Votes continued to be counted this week. Believe it or not, they were still counting. Biden has officially won Arizona and Georgia. Georgia in particular hasn't been won by a Democrat in 28 years. For Arizona, it's 24 years. Meanwhile, I mean, our orange Cheeto... refuses to concede, even with more and more Republican lawmakers turning against him and 80% of Americans, including a majority of Republicans, agreeing that Biden did indeed win the election. So Trump's toddler ass needs to stop the charade, especially since it's becoming more and more clear that Trump and the GOP are really just trying to raise money to pay off their campaign and other debt. Remember, Trump's been raising a record amount of cash since Joe was elected. Mm -hmm. Did you know that, uh, let's say that, you know, all the money that Trump is raising, if he pays off all his debts and there's still money left over, he can pocket all of it? No. There's no campaign, like, like legislation around that? Like... I mean, I think there is, but it also comes down to how you spend it. (laughs) And that's... It just reflects the 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 cesspool that is American politics. But but back to Joe Biden, though. On one hand, progressives have been okay with Joe Biden's first moves as president-elect of the U.S., like his appointment of Ray Klain to chief of staff. Typically, chiefs of staff are gatekeepers for the president. They craft political and legislative strategy and often serve as a liaison to Capitol Hill in legislative negotiations. Progressives see Klain as open to working with them on top priorities like climate change and healthcare. On the other hand, we see Biden naming corporate lawyers and lobbyists to his Justice Department transition team. Yeah, I know Sean King isn't happy about that at all. And uh, he's currently undertaking a campaign to ensure that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, essentially, they do what they were elected to do. That He's got a full, it's really only for Americans, so I'm not going to spend time talking about the website, but like if you go there, it's a hundred different policy proposals that Sean King says Joe Biden and Kamala Harris could input or implement on day one. No need for Congress, day one. Wow. So we hope that Biden really follows through on that. He also, Sean King also made very clear, look, you know, when, when, when Biden was first announced, all y'all told me, listen, I gotta, I gotta support the candidate. And I did. I did. Now that he's, now that he's president or president elect, time to hold him accountable. <laughs> and that's exactly what Sean's doing. Jumping to questions for the audience. So we saw the great news for the Mi'kmaq about their $1 billion acquisition of Clearwater Foods, a corporate entity that's essential to their very way of life. Personally, I think it's possible for Black people in Canada to do something very similar. So if we could take $1 billion and make a vital purchase in our interest, what do you think it should be? 
Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drift Deal. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.